Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guests uh, Mark Schulman. He's the founder and pub- publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a multimedia website. Terrific for kids of all ages, including you and I. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And we'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, his uh, mostly murder mysteries. Uh, We'll be visiting with Jim as well. It is March the 6th, and on this day in 1857, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision on Sanford versus Dred Scott, a case that intensified national divisions over the issue of slavery. In 1834, Dred Scott, an enslaved man, had been taken to Illinois, a free state, and then Wisconsin Territory, where the Missouri Compromise of 1820 prohibited slavery. Scott lived in Wisconsin with his master, Dr. John Emerson, for several years before returning to Missouri, a slave state. In 1846, after Emerson died, Scott sued his master's widow for his freedom on the grounds that he had lived as a resident of a free state and territory. He won his suit in the lower court, but the Missouri Supreme Court reversed the decision. Scott appealed the decision, and as his new master, J.F.A. Sanford, was a resident of New York, a federal court decided to hear the case on the basis of the diversity of the state uh, citizenship represented. After a federal district court decided against Scott, the case came on appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which was divided along slavery and anti-slavery lines, although the Southern justices had a majority. During the trial, the anti-slavery justices used the case to defend the constitutionality of the Missouri Compromise, which had been repealed by the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. The Southern majority responded by ruling on March 6, 1857, that the Missouri Compromise was unconstitutional and that the Congress had no power to prohibit slavery in these territories. Three of the Southern justices also held that African Americans who were enslaved or whose ancestors were enslaved were not entitled to the rights of a federal citizen and therefore had no standing in court. These rulings all confirmed that in the view of the nation's highest court, under no condition did Dred Scott have the legal right to request his freedom. The Supreme Court's verdict further inflamed the irrepressible differences in the United States over the issue of slavery, which, of course, in 1861 erupted with the outbreak of the American Civil War. Well, in a deal, decades in the making, more than 190 countries established a framework to protect marine life on the high seas, which are now 60% of the world's oceans that lie outside of national boundaries. Currently, only 1.2% of those areas are protected, but the UN High Seas Treaty hopes to turn 30% of the international waters into protected areas by 2030. Almost 10% of the marine global species are at risk of extinction, that according to the International Union for Conservation of Nature. You know, uh, we do so little to protect our uh, oceans, and I think this is 
a great concept. It really concerns me that it's uh, put forth by the UN. And uh, while if certainly we all need to participate in this, uh, it smells an awful like uh, an awful lot like climate change to me. So it's got me a little concerned. I'm not sure if, where this is going to go, but it probably no place good. <laughs> Well, on the heels of winning uh, CPAC in 2023's straw poll for the 2024 GOP nomination, former President Donald Trump declared his intent to to obliterate the deep state if elected. I don't know if you saw his speech, Linda and I walked, watched it. It was two hours, and it was just just riveting. I thought he did a great job. Best speech I've ever heard him give. He said, I will totally obliterate the deep state, he said in a thunderous applause in USA chants. I will fire the unelected bureaucrats and shadow forces that have weaponized our justice system uh, like it's never been weaponized before, he said. I'll put the uh, people back in charge of the country again. He blasted President Joe Biden's White House as the most corrupt administration in American history. Hunter Biden is a criminal. Nothing's happened to him, he said. Joe Biden is a criminal, and nothing's ever seems to happen to him. You know, say what you want, but the Democrats stick together, said uh, Trump. Results from the straw poll taken among the attendees found that Trump had 62% support. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, who's not uh, at, wasn't at the conference, had uh, f- and hasn't formally announced to Ron, has uh, drew 20%. Uh, everybody else drew less than uh, double digits. <clears throat> uh, Trump also took shots at members of his own party, described as the establishment and the Bush or Paul Ryan type Republicans. Uh, which he said the GOP will never return to. Even some of our party, I wonder uh, who that might be. They want to raise the minimum age of Social Security to 70, 75, even 80 in some cases, he said. When that was uh, uh, our original thought, that's what they come back to. We never are going back to a party that wants to give unlimited uh, money to foreign government and foreign wars that are endless wars, that are stupid wars, Trump said. The former president said that benefits must not cut. Veterans uh, must not be left in the, to live on the street in our cities. <clears throat> he also discussed uh, his efforts to prevent the U.S. from entering any new wars and said that under his watch, World War III would be avoided. I'm the only candidate who can make that promise. I will prevent very easily World War III, he said. You're going to have World War III if something doesn't happen fast. I think he's right about that. The former president said Republicans must utilize existing laws, even if they're allowed, uh, even if they allow mail-in voting or balloting harvesting to defeat the Democrats. Again, uh, if you didn't see the speech, it was uh, a lot of what you've already heard, but uh, it was extremely presidential in my opinion. Did a nice job. Well, General Michael Flynn is a retired United States Army Lieutenant General who was the 24th U.S. National Security Advisor for the first 22 days of the Trump administration. He's a staunch uh, Trump ally and confidant and was forced to resign in 2017 following reports that he had lied regarding conversations with Sergei Kislyak, a Russian diplomat. This is while Democrat Party and highest levels of the U.S. intelligence concocted an attempted coup to take down the sitting president based on what they knew was fraudulent accusations that Trump was a Vladimir Putin stooge. <clears throat> General Michael Flynn was collateral damage. They had to remove him to get to Trump. Well, General Michael Flynn was a huge uh, target of Barack Obama, Democrats, the deep state, and crooked judge Sullivan, Emmett Sullivan, remember him? After he joined with Donald Trump during the 2016 campaign for president, 
Obama particularly hated Flynn for pointing out that the obvious, uh, during congressional testimony, that uh, Antifa was uh, sweeping across Syria, Iraq, and Obama had no plan to prevent it. After he was set up and removed from White House, Flynn was persecuted by lawless Judge Emmett Sullivan in a case that was dropped by the DOJ. But for months afterwards, Judge Sullivan refused to dismiss the case. For some reason, this crooked leftist judge decided to pursue the charges himself, knowing there was nothing there. President Trump eventually pardoned General Flynn after the system persecuted him and failed him. Since that time, the American public learned through court proceedings that the charges should never have been filed against General Flynn. On Friday, and this is the best part, General Flynn filed a $50 million lawsuit against his government. General Flynn is suing the government for unjustified and illegal actions, including but not limited to malicious prosecution and the abuse uh, of process. This lawsuit seeks accountability and damages against the United States for these wrongs committed against General Flynn through its agents and agencies. Uh, Specifically, General Flynn seeks relief herein for defendants, agents, and agencies' violations of his Constitution and other legal rights in connection with this wrongful and malicious prosecution. So uh, uh, a real patriot is suing the United States government. reminds me of the old saying from Mark Twain, he wants to find patriotism as supporting your country at all times and your government when it deserves it, which, quite frankly, more and more is not often. <clears throat> well, Robert F. Kennedy is considering challenging President Joe Biden for the 2024 Democrat presidential primary nomination. I'm thinking about it, yes, Kennedy told a crowd in New Hampshire on Friday, according to reports and other news outlets. I have passed the biggest hurdle that my wife has green-lighted it, he said. Kennedy reportedly makes the the remark in New Hampshire Institute of Politics considered a must-stop in state for potential or actual White House contenders. Kennedy is the son of the late Robert F. Kennedy and nephew of the late President John F. Kennedy. The environmental lawyer is a self-described lifelong Democrat who also has been a vocal critic of the COVID-19 vaccine. And if you haven't read it, uh, The Real Anthony Fauci is a terrific read. I highly recommend the book because it is well-documented, footnoted, and very complete. And the accusations are all supported about Anthony Fauci and what he did uh, during these times. In a speech at the Institute, Kennedy was reportedly critical of a Democratic National Committee moving the party's New Hampshire presidential primary from first to third place. I must say, if we had to have a Democrat as president, I would choose uh, Kennedy. I think he's a a, a man of uh, real character and uh, great values. I don't want a Democrat as a president, but if you had to have one, this is the guy I'd choose. Uh, Should be an interesting election cycle. In his first public appearance since being ousted at Project Veritas, the group's founder, James O'Keefe, spoke on Saturday at CPAC about the most recent and arguably biggest and most important expose yet of Pfizer's lies and manipulation. During his speech, he showed some clips, including the video that we've all seen, now showing how many news programs are bought and paid for by Pfizer. He then talked a bit about how having been removed at Veritas has impacted him. Then he took a somewhat extraordinary step of bringing to the stage the formerly unnamed insider and whistleblower from Pfizer, 
who was the one the most instrumental within the company in helping to expose what was going on. This brave woman, who was introduced as Debbie from Pfizer, gave her own awesome speech. It was a powerful moment. It could have come off like sour grapes or a play for attention, but it didn't. Instead, it was awesome, according to the author here. So uh, James O'Keefe, we haven't heard the last of him, and I'm sure <laughs> Pfizer is a little bit mortified to hear from Debbie from Pfizer. Uh, I, I'm sure they had a lot to do with ousting him out of Project Veritas, but uh, James O'Keefe is not going to walk away. Well, former gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake of Arizona uh, alleged Saturday that she was offered a bribe to stay out of politics for two years. Something happened to me this week before I left the CPAC, and it showed how desperate these people are to stop me, she said. Somebody showed up at my door this week. They called me uh, before and said, I got to talk to you in person. This can't be done on the phone. They came to my door, and they tried to bribe me out of getting out of politics. They really happened. That really happened. I'm telling you this because it's how disgusting politics is. A mama runs for office, and they're afraid of me. They tried to bribe me with a job title, a huge salary, and a position on the board. Just disgusting. Of course, she nearly lost the gubernatorial election. That's still being adjudicated in the Supreme Court in Arizona. She's also uh, considered as a candidate for senator uh, uh, in uh, independent uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema's seat, who's... Uh, that's coming up. Uh, she left the Democrat Party in 2024. In January 23, in 2020. <laughs> that can't be 2024. In any event, uh, Lake is uh, considered as a candidate for Senate. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you check out johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, did you know that most health plans, health insurance plans, don't cover international travel? You want to be able to travel with confidence and uh, go to the website, find out more, internationalhealthplans.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So we're talking about current global events. For our listeners' benefit, you're located in Tel Aviv as we speak. I thought it might be interesting to start talking about, uh, start off with talking about what's happening in Israel. Absolutely. So um, the largest demonstrations in Israel's history that have been taking place now for the last eight weeks now since the plan for judicial overhaul was first unveiled um, by the new justice minister. Um, on Saturday night, there were approximately 400,000 people wow. in various parts of the country demonstrating, which is, represents over 10% of the adult population of the country was out in the streets. Wow. Uh, and um, But in the meantime, uh, the plan is going forward. Uh, there are other things that are happening. For instance, reserve pilots in the Air Force have said they won't serve if uh, the judicial reform goes forward, and as a matter of fact, this week they're not coming to some um, exercise that was planned for this week. They said they're busy demonstrating they can't come to the the exercise of the reservists. These are not uh, active duty, although the Israeli Air Force is built on the reserve pilots. Right. Uh, so, uh, and in the meantime, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was supposed to fly to Rome at the end of the week. And LL could not find any pilots who were willing to fly him to Rome. Huh. So it's gotten really yeah, problematic and interesting. Now, there are, there's reports the president keeps on trying to claim he's trying to reach some sort of an agreement so everyone will agree on the changes. Um, he says today he's closer than ever, but that's the only person who's saying that it's him, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to see where there can be an agreement, but we'll have to see. But it's, there's it never been anything it, quite like this. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be in the face of all this uh, uh, discontent, I just can't imagine uh, political survival under those circumstances. Well, you know, remember, you know, the, uh, let, let's give an American example, right? Um, if something, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, did was 
and let's just say for the sake of argument, which I think is more or less true, the U.S. is divided more or less 50-50. I mean, you can argue, you know, percentages, but whatever. Right. But if, if, if one party did something that was popular with that party and totally, you know, the whole other party or other half of people came out and demonstrated, if they really believed it, they'd go ahead and, and do it. Now, and this isn't quite the case, because at least a third of the supporters of the Likud party, in any case, seem to say they would like them to stop. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not at all clear, um, but you know, and the, the polls that have come out in the last couple of days show that if elections were held today, which they wouldn't be, the current government would be out of power. Huh. Um, so they've clearly lost a lot of support because of it. Um, but they, they, you know, look, what they're doing is very similar to what happened in Poland, in Turkey, and in Hungary where the goal is to eliminate the judicial branch as an independent uh, body. And if the, if the judicial branch is no longer independent, then the government can do almost whatever it wishes to do. Because huh. you don't, and that's literally what happened in those three countries. So um, it, it, this is a not related in some ways, but it, it, otherwise it is. What's going on in Iran? Okay, so this is really, you're right. This is sort of related and not related because it's clearly related <laughs> in the sense that the reports from the UN are that the Iranians have reached 86% enrichment, and they basically could um, go to a 90% at any time at this point, with with very little time in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big question is, do they have the means of um, delivering the bomb? And there's a lot of disagreement between the intelligence agencies about that. Um, and their question is, you know, what's going to happen now? Look, the probably the biggest foreign policy disaster uh, by President Trump together with Prime Minister Netanyahu was to pull out of the JCOPA. Not that it was a perfect agreement, but we didn't have any, there was no plan B. And right now we're at plan B, which is the Iranians are very close to having the bomb. So what happens now? Um, I don't think anyone wants to go to war with Iran. Israel um, may feel it has no choice. Mm-hmm. The United States certainly doesn't want to go to war at the moment. I mean, but there's a war going on in Ukraine, you know, that's eating up everybody's resources all over the world. So it's a very difficult situation. And, of course, the Iranians have been helping the Russians. So it's clearly an alliance between Russia and, the, and, and Iran. Uh, Russia has just sold some new advanced fighter jets to Iran. Uh, I sort of poo-poo that if the, um, if the Ukrainian... Air Force is capable of taking on these Russian planes. It seems to me that either the United States or Israel can easily take on these planes. So yeah. that that's less of a you know. It sounds very bad, but I think it's not as bad as it seems. Obviously, like, like again, what we've seen with the Ukrainians have been able to do. It seems like the United States or the Israelis will be able to do much better against the Russian planes. Hmm. Um, but it's a you know, it's really a bad place to be at this point, Adam, in terms of where we are in, in, in these relations at this point. Um, and, you know, once they have the bomb, the question is, can you live with an Iranian bomb? Um, the United States probably can. Israel, I'm not sure it can, especially when the Iranians keep on talking about destroying Israel. And if this regime, interestingly enough, I mean, if the regime somehow got changed, things would change radically. Absolutely. But <clears throat> the other side of this is the... Uh... Uh, the behavior of the Iranians before all this ha- took place has always been pretty atrocious. I'm talking about the bullets now. Uh, oh, absolutely. Are you making the case that somehow this uh, result would be different if we'd stayed in the agreement? Okay. 
I would say that if we had stayed in the agreement, the Iranians would not have a bomb for another five years. Hmm. Uh, that's the reality. Now, what would happen in five years, I don't know. I mean, again, in any of these situations, you want to delay things because you don't want things to come to to a head. You're hoping that sometime in that period of time, things might change, the mullahs might lose power, all those sort of things. So clearly leaving the agreement was a mistake because the major problem with this agreement was that it sunsetted. In other words, it ended at some point. Mm -hmm. And what we did was self-sunset it. And, um, you know, I think Netanyahu was hoping Trump would attack if if, if this happened. Uh, Trump was sort of thought that economic sanctions might work or something. Uh-huh. But neither of them, both of them mis- misjudged the situation. And certainly in retrospect, you can argue at the time, but in retrospect, it was obviously a mistake. Um, but again, look, it's... <laughs> The agreement was far from perfect, mm-hmm. and uh, um, but it was the best we had at the moment. Right. Uh, Mark, you know, we uh, so many other things we want to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, Ukraine. What is? Uh, what are the new developments in Ukraine? Well, it was looking until you know a 
two, three days ago, like Bakhmut, which the Russians have been trying to capture now for about five months, was about to fall to the Russians finally, and the Ukrainians weren't going to be able to hold it. And then um, over the weekend, they surprised everybody. They sent some new troops in and counterattacked against the Russians. And so far, the counterattack there seems to have succeeded to some extent. Mm. It's not clear uh, what the overall goal is. Um, the head of the Wagner Group, which is this, um, I don't know how to describe it. The Wagner Group is this private army that went around and basically recruited recruits directly out of the Russian prisons. Uh, basically said that if his forces can't hold, and he claims he's not getting enough um, enough ammunition to do that, if his forces can't hold and take Bakhmut, the whole Russian line is going to collapse. Hmm. So very unclear what's happening, um, but the Ukrainians continue to surprise everybody. And um, also they had some attacks deep into the Russian territory overnight uh, using drones, and it looks like a commando raid as well. Can you provide any clarity for his work? I mean, I read reports of everything from uh, the Russian army is about to collapse to this war is going to go on for years. This is one of the headlines this uh, this weekend uh, because uh, the uh, Russians uh, have so much strength and have, uh, you know, so much uh, firepower. What are your thoughts? Okay. I, I don't want to go with either of those. Let's, let's, let's start it that way. Uh-huh. I don't think the Russians are about to collapse, but they might. In other words, one of the things about an army that collapses, look back at history at the Russian army in 1917 uh, when it collapsed all of a sudden. Uh-huh. And so the, when armies collapse, they sometimes do it in, at a sudden moment and you don't really know, especially, again, when the Russian army is fighting not on their territory, not for their homeland, but for some idea. So they could collapse at any moment. It's, it's possible. I wouldn't bet on that. As for years, look, the Russians are pulling out World War II-era tanks because they don't have enough new t- tanks to fight this war. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think you can make the comment that they have unlimited resources. They don't even have unlimited people at this point. Their male population is much smaller than it ever was. And as many as, you know, three to 400,000 draft-age men left the country. Anyone who could left. So I don't think they they can sustain this war in the same way. This is not World War II, and I don't think they can sustain it forever either. Now, the problem, of course, that exists is that this war is eating up tremendous amounts of, of artillery shells and those sort of things that no one produces enough of. Right. And so that's been a challenge for the United States. It's been a challenge for all the allies to, to ramp up production. Um, Drastically, you know, there was. We need to ramp up production, and I think we've discussed this over the years. You know, one of the problems in the United States is we're down to two mil- main military contractors. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely not healthy, to say the least. Um, so, I don't think it'll go on for for years. I think we'll see significant advances of the Ukrainians in the coming months with their spring offensive. Will they be able to beat the Russians? Will they collapse? I don't know. It's impossible, to obviously, to know in a war. Um, but um, at this point, the momentum is still with the Ukrainians. I mean, if you think about it, Bakhmut, which is not a particularly important strategic location, the Russians have been trying to capture for six months. Uh-huh. And supposedly, from what I understand, the kill ratio on the battlefield is 10 to 1 on the Ukrainian side. Hmm. So who can sustain that for how long? Yeah. Um, so I just think we have to keep on helping as much as we possibly can. Um, it's 
um, first of all, it's necessary because Russia has to be stopped. Russia is is the you know the consummate evil player at this point in the world right now, yeah. much more so than China. Not that China isn't isn't a greater long term threat, but at the moment, it's not a it's not an immediate threat at all. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, if you're an American, you would not go to visit Russia right now because you could easily be put in prison and used as a bargaining chip. You can go. You know, I don't think there's any question you can go to Peking or anywhere else in China right now to do business. Right. I must say, though, uh, uh, the, the uh, president's uh, <clears throat> admonition to us about the uh, industrial military industrial uh, complex rings true uh, on uh, <clears throat> today because right now <clears throat> there's all this power. People just have want you know they're licking their chops. They want to be part of this whole process and funding the war. This this little book I don't know if you've ever read. War is a racket. It is a racket. Yeah, absolutely. Look, but remember something else though. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm a strong believer, and I believe we have to be wary of the military industrial complex. Certainly in time of peace, we spend way too much money sometimes on defense. Uh -huh. But also remember, that was the excuse prior to World War II for not arming early enough and for not supporting the Allies in a big enough way. Because again, uh, it, talking about the World War I, there were theories, and there was some truth to that, that the, that the arms manufacturers were behind some of the war, etc. And so this, therefore, the United States took a long-term time to begin to prepare for World War II. Yeah. And we were just barely ready, you know, when we think about it, how close the United States came in the Pacific. Yeah. If, um, you know, those four aircraft carriers had not been out at sea at Pearl Harbor, I'm not sure how the war would have ended up. Yeah. And it took us another year to really produce um, the ships we needed in order to begin the offensive. But thankfully, I mean, Roosevelt had started rebuilding ships in 1939, 1938. Yeah. Against opposition. Yeah. From that, that same way. So... You know, it, it's always a difficult line, and it's always an issue. And you know, built, you know, spending money on defense economically is not the most efficient way of spending money, right? In other words, yeah. build a train. For, it's like I'm not talking about trains per se, but let's let's talk about that for a second. Build a train as opposed to a missile, right? Uh -huh. A missile, um, you know, in both cases, workers work, right? So that's good. People get in jobs. They're building something. But when you're finished, the missile just sits there or goes to destroy something. You build a train, it's used by people, and it improves, you know, it, it improves uh, the economy to some extent. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the argument against spending money on the military in, in, in a big way, because it, it doesn't improve efficiency, it doesn't improve the infrastructure. Build a new bridge, the bridge gets used by people, you get to places faster, it yeah. improves the efficiency of the economy. Great you points, know, Build right. another tank. Hopefully it just sits there. Yeah, uh, great point. So let's move. Uh, before I let you go, I do want to talk to you about what's going on in China. Right. So in China, a very interesting development in the sense that they just announced their forecast for the next year economically, and they're <clears throat> planning on a 5% increase in the economy, which would be an okay number for the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, but for China, this is a really low number when they were growing at 8 9 10% a year. Now, I think it's not as bad as we think because until recently the Chinese population was growing. Now that it's not growing, it's not so bad not to be growing at 10% annually in terms of your 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 economy. Um, so, uh, but on the other hand, it does say what's happening to China. China is slowing down. Mm -hmm. China is not that powerhouse that we all thought or feared 
I mean, to me, this is the same. This is a repeat of the Japanese story. I'm not talking about militarily now; it's a whole other issue. But in terms of our fear of of, of the economic uh, power of China, yeah, it's similar to the fear we had of the economic power of the Japanese in the 1980s. And what ended up happening is they ended up owning a bunch of uh, U.S. real estate that didn't do them very much good. That's right. Well, and speaking of which, uh, the, how about this uh, real estate debacle that we've heard so much about in China? Is there a, is that having an impact? Of course, yeah, it's certainly limiting them. There's no question it's limiting them, and that comes back to what we discussed a minute ago, demographics. Yeah. You know, China was sort of ignoring its basic demographic underlying factor that it could it wasn't growing anymore in terms of population. Look, population growth is important for economic growth. Yeah. Whether you get it from high birth rates or high immigration or some combination therein, that is the way countries grow, is by increasing their population. China is not growing anymore. There's no immigration to China. Leaving aside, they don't have a history of immigration. Who would want to? Who would want to immigrate? You know, you know, temp, temporary job maybe, but who would want to immigrate and live under, you know, the kleptocracy? I, I don't want to call it communist China because it's something else. Right. But a totalitarian China. Right. You who would want to do that? Right. None of us. No one would want to do that. That's why everyone's trying to get into the United States. You know, you can. You can talk about, we can talk about immigration policies in the United States, but we need to understand one thing about it. It says something really good about America that everyone still wants to come here. Absolutely. And to uh, Great Britain and to other places as well. Uh, this, uh, but uh, I would say that the United States is the ultimate destination. It remains the, the number one destination of immigrants. It's been that way <clears throat> since the start of the country. People, you know, they initially came for the idea, they stayed for the economy, and the freedom helps them along the way. Absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCenter.com. I hope you check it out. Great for kids of all ages. HistoryCenter.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. times they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional somber formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues unique. We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, 
a modern funeral home, a celebration of life center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website DignityMemorial.com. That's www.DignityMemorial.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. And they uh, know policy. They definitely prepare your elected officials to win in their political battles. It's a great organization. If you think about it, most people go into politics and end up getting elected, don't know what to do once they get into the job. Well, uh, the Foundation for Government Accountability helps to solve that problem. And so proud to be part of the organization. It's been around for 12 years. It started off as a small organization with no funding and now has a $14 million annual budget. So I hope you check it out. Uh, the Foundation for Government Accountability. The website is thefga. Org. Well, you've probably heard about the contaminated water that uh, has been a chronic coastal water pollution in Imperial Beach, that being in California, water washing up from uh, sewage washing up from uh, Mexico into uh, Southern California. Well, apparently it's uh, new research is showing that sewage polluted coastal waters transfer to the atmosphere in sea spray in an aerosol formed by breaking waves and uh, bursting bubbles. That, according to a script said in, in a release, this research demonstrates that coastal communities are exposed to coastal water pollution even without entering polluted waters. That, according to author Matthew Pendergraft, more research is necessary to determine the level of risk posed to the public by aerosolized uh, coastal water pollution. These findings provide further justification for prioritizing cleaning up coastal waters, he said. The research shows that pollution's impact is wider than anyone thought, according to one uh, researcher. Completing the poll entitles <clears throat> coastal waters uh, pollution has been traditionally considered just a waterborne problem. People worry about swimming and surfing in it, but not about breathing it in, even though the aerosols can travel long distances and expose many more people than those that just at the beach or in the water. Having determined that uh, ocean spray contains bacteria and chemicals that came from Tijuana River, the next step is for the research to determine what pathogens are a danger to anyone breathing the ocean air. The bottom line is we don't know what sort of effect it's yet of inhaling this sort of cocktail that comes out of the ocean. We want to understand it. We want to do what's uh, doing further work. We really uh, are ramping up to understand the conditions that lead to this aerosolization. This is not just a problem in Imperial Beach. It goes all the way up and down the West Coast, Prather said. The bottom line is we don't know what the effect is yet of inhaling the cocktail that comes out of the ocean. This is, <clears throat> this is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Robert Knight, a professor of pediatrics, computer science, and engineering at U.S. San Diego State said, it's a complete shock to find how much microbes in the air are traceable back to sewage. We had no idea the effect would be so strong. And now that we know this is a real problem, we need to find out what's happening to the impacts of human health. I must say, can you imagine this has been going on? We lived in Southern California for 10 years, from 75 to 85. And uh, that, that just a little north of uh, 
Los Angeles. So the point is, you know, human beings have the ability to adapt, and certainly we, we want to make sure that we have clean water and clean air. But isn't it amazing how human uh, beings have been able to adapt to the area and be in that area, even though this has been going on for, I'm going to say, probably 30, 40, 50 years. It's just unbelievable. So uh, we, <laughs> needless to say, we need to clean the water and the air. But uh, again, the strength of the human body, the uh, immune system, it's just amazing. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, this needs to be addressed. Well, a hidden corridor nine meters or 30 feet long has been discovered close to the main entrance of a 4,500-year-old Great Pyramid of Giza, and this could lead to further findings. This, according to an Egyptian antiquities official, said the discovery within the pyramid that uh, the last of seven wonders of the ancient world still standing were made under the Scan Pyramids project that's since 2015 has been using non-invasive technology, including infrared thermo thermographic thermography, I guess it would be pronounced, 3D simulations and cosmic ray imaging to appear inside the structure. An article published in the Journal of Nature on Thursday said the discovery could contribute to knowledge about the construction of the pyramid and the purpose of a gabled limestone structure that sits in front of the corridor. Uh, stuff just fascinates me. Still learning things about the pyramids in Egypt. Isn't that amazing? I think the first pyramids were opened in, uh, in the 20s. Uh, but uh, right now we're still finding new things about it. It's amazing. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to bring to your attention the Optima Foundation is presenting its inaugural Education Freedom Gala. It's happening on the evening of March the 26th, Sunday, March the 26th. Special guests, it's going to be Greg Gutfeld, and uh, he certainly supports school choice. And that's what Optima Foundation is all about. I hope you'll visit the website, Optima dot foundation optima dot foundation to find out more about this terrific event coming up on sunday it's by the way it's going to be <coughs> at tiburon <coughs> the ritz at tiburon you can find out more there we have with us <coughs> jim mctagg former barons washington bureau chief he's the author of several books since he retired as the uh, uh from that position uh, his first novel uh, he's written other books besides this, but his first novel was uh, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Bob. So it's a, a sunny day up here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I've resettled from inside the Beltway, and I'm I'm going down memory lane because we see headlines today about a looming recession. We see headlines... Uh, the beatification of Jimmy Carter, who is on his deathbed. Yeah. So I am time traveling 49 years ago to, uh, you know, March of 1973, mm. when I was one year out of graduate school. Uh, Gerald Ford was president because Nixon had resigned. Yeah. Uh, the unemployment rate was 9%. The uh, Arab oil embargo was in effect and so people couldn't get gasoline and i was looking for a job as a full-time journalist and the best i could do was the bucks county courier and times hired me as a stringer which a stringer is just i get paid like 25 dollars a story and and my motivation was to build something called a clip file which journalists took to interviews at big newspapers, to, you know, to strut their stuff, so to speak. These yeah. are the stories I have done. So anyway, I got the idea to hitchhike 75 miles around Bucks County and interview the people who picked me up about the, uh, the gas shortage. And it's kind of funny because when I look at the picture mm-hmm. with this story, you know, I look like Charles Manson. I mean, I had, um, I had hair down to my shoulders and a mustache. You know, I, I was... Uh, and, and uh, people picked me up because they said they thought I looked like a nice guy. So um, they, they thought warning. you looked like a, a product of the seventies, is what they thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And 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 what's so funny is that uh, you know we had we had no Twitter, we had no Facebook, no instant electronic communications. Yet, I'd say about half the people who picked me up thought that the the Arab oil embargo was really something made up by the federal government and corporate America to uh, to acclimate motorists to uh, much higher gasoline prices. I mean, there was a, the conspiracy theorists were alive and well, so there's, there's essentially nothing new under the sun. So anyway, that was when Gerald Ford was president. Uh-huh. And, and, and Ford was a disaster, and he and, and, he and uh, Nelson Rockefeller you know, one of their schemes for uh, blunting the Arab oil embargo was to turn coal into gas. Mm. And Congress just wouldn't go along with it. So anyway, we have an election, and, and Jimmy Carter is elected a Democrat because 
people thought, you know, no president can be worse for the economy than Gerald Ford. And of course, Carter proved everybody wrong. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons, uh, he embraced every bit of magical thinking he could find. And, and one of the pieces of magical thinking, he picks up on uh, Ford and, and Rockefeller's idea for coal gasification. And I don't know if you remember this, but the uh, he managed to get Congress to pass a, uh, a bill establishing a Sin Fuels Corporation. And it was a federal plan to spend about a billion dollars mm. uh, building 20 or so coal gasification plants across the U.S. He actually gave a speech in Kentucky where he said, in, in, you know, coal is an f- energy future for, for America. And, and, and so um, to make a long story short, within three years, uh, the coal gasification, the Sin Fuels Corporation, that was government financed was such a fiasco and so riddled with corruption mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it ended up being phased out. Ronald Reagan finally put it to deep rest. So, um, such an interesting story, Jim. I mean, by the way, uh, uh, this global movement that we're experiencing today, and we've got the uh, the uh, meeting in Davos uh, happening once every year. But I read that Jimmy Carter was a a part of the Trilateral Commission. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Trilateral Commission, but it was one of the it was the early upstart of this whole notion of a uh, global government and having top scientists and and, uh, engineers running the world. uh, And uh, he was part of that whole thing. Have you heard that? I haven't. You know, I but I I did read the speech he gave uh, in Kentucky when he's announcing his uh, energy plans. And he, he said, um, this is a rare historic moment, he said, where, uh, where the relationship between government and the private sector works to produce improvements uh, and better the lives of all Americans. You know, this was the coal gas thing. Yeah. It's, a, it's a warning. Like Biden's doing the same thing now, yeah. you know, with our, our, our green energy future. Um, the only right thing that Carter did was that he deregulated the price of natural gas. There had been federal caps on the price of natural gas. And suddenly the gas shortage... Oh, so prices initially shot through the roof. Uh, But that added income from gas producers attracted more people into the gas production field. So within a year, prices collapsed because wow. so many people were drilling for natural gas. So, he, you know, he, he essentially let the free market take over. So so the free market actually killed his coal gasification and everything So, uh, Jim, it did, in addition to that, am I mistaken on this, but I, I think he also deregulated the airlines. Uh, you know, I forget about that, but I think that is true. In other words, it, as the consequence, at the time he'd pay $1,400, $1,500 in order to fly across the country. Uh, now, because of what he did in deregulating the airlines, I mean, uh, their prices are competitive. And you, at one time, I don't know what it costs today because I wouldn't get on an airplane. <laughs> but I think you could probably do that for, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars So what he did is essentially throw the kitchen sink at the problem. And he, and he did the magical thinking about the brave new technology, which the federal government is always guilty of that. And, and by the way, during Carter administration, the unemployment rate shot up to about 10.5%. I right. mean, 
so so I just have miserable memories of that time because sure. I was trying so hard to get a decent job. Well, can you can you recall that he said basically, you American people, there's a general malaise in the country, and it's your fault. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I also remember, do you remember the gas guzzler tax? He put a $10,000 tax for on cars that got less than 16 miles to the gallon. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, that sounds atrocious, a car getting 16 miles to the gallon, but up until the Arab oil embargo, gas was so plentiful that, you know, we really didn't need to conserve it. Right. Uh, number one. Uh, and the Arab oil embargo was the, the nail in the coffin for post-World War II growth for this country, number one. Uh, number two, it reinforced the stupid idea that there was a, we're running out of uh, gas and oil in the world and that we needed alternatives. And ironically, back at that time, there was a commission, a United Nations commission, that said, oh, this is wrong. We, if, if you're willing to spend the money for drilling, we have a 100-year supply. So I think that's one of the rare instances where the United Nations was actually ahead of the curve. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, Jimmy Carter, uh, he was a disaster as a president of the United States. But I must say, I think he's demonstrated since... He left the presidency. He's a man of integrity and uh, personal, strong personal beliefs. Uh, I respect him for that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a, a moral person, yeah. a likable person, but he was a disastrous chief executive because he had that hubris that the federal government knows best. Yeah, and and, and he he had that uh, American optimism often misplaced in the latest technological fad coming down the pike. You know, so, Jim, I, I just encourage you to just uh, take a look at uh, Google Trilateral Commission and Jimmy Carter. Uh, and that that type of belief is just right out of the script for the beliefs in trilateral, uh, the Trilateral Commission, where that's all led to up to this day. I, I will. I mean, again, there's nothing new under the sun, and Americans really have to be vigilant <laughs> to preserve our freedom. Absolutely. Because, yeah, there, there are these uh, utopian visions out there that are crackpot in reality. No question. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary on the show, and I hope our listeners will get uh, No Problem. That's your latest murder mystery uh, located in Washington, D.C. No Problem by Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had a good time. Uh, we've got some uh, great guests. I don't know what happened with uh, uh, Larry Reed, uh, but uh, he sent me an email. I haven't read it yet, but <laughs> apparently there's some problem with the phones. In any event, on uh, tomorrow, on Tuesday, we have Kathleen Pasadomo, our uh, state senator and president of uh, the Florida State Senate. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Uh, Boo Mortensen will be with us uh, as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the uh, show, tell your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers and get the word out. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>